Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a very special guest, a gentleman by the name of Jason Tharp. He is joining us from right here in Ohio. So you want, listen, you want to hear this guy's story. It's unbelievable. So if you would do me a favor and go ahead and share this out and stay with us. We will be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Jason on. Jason, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Grateful to have you here. Um, We were introduced by our mutual friends, Richard and Krista. So thank you, Richard and Krista, for uh, for the introduction. So Jason, this show I started about four and a half years ago. Um was really to help people get unstuck in life, to have a breakthrough, if you would. Um, So I I like to always start with where were you born and raised? So why don't you tell everyone where you were, where you're from? Where were you born and raised? Uh, I was grow. I grew up in uh, central Ohio. Uh, Mount Vernon was where I was born. uh, And then I graduated from Frederick town high school in uh, 1994. Yeah. I'm very familiar with that area. It's a beautiful area of Ohio, actually. It is. Um, so, 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 talk about what it was like growing up as a kid over there. That's a real for anybody not familiar. That's a really small town. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, hilly. <laughs> it's very hilly and beautiful. Yeah, uh, growing up around there, if uh, for me was pretty difficult. Um, you know, I was I was a dreamer. You know, I was always a kid that. Uh, wanted to do anything but what was in that town right you know i i I was i was a kid dreaming of and uh, i would you know cover the tv screen with paper when uh, my favorite cartoon was the flintstones and i would record it and rewatch the videos and then when like you know fred or whatever came on pause the screen and trace the characters off and uh wow yeah so when you're that kid um you know, and then add on top of it that I was, you know, kind of a pudgy kid. Uh, and, you know, I always tell kids now when I do school visits that I was a weird kid and that kind of puts a target on your back, you know. Um, and I think I like to think that I just had my stuff figured out a little earlier than everybody else did. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so did you end up like when did you go to college? I did. I, um, as soon as I could leave, I left. Um, I went to, uh, Columbus College of Art and Design, went for art school. Um, I went for uh, about four months the first time around. I, I graduated high school when I was 17. Wasn't quite ready for the world, I guess. Yeah. And then uh, dropped out, then just got beat down by the world, and then came back to art school when I was uh, t- like just right before 21. Um, CCAD is a great school. It is, yeah. Great Very school. Very good school. 
So what did you, I mean, so you eventually graduated from CCAD? I did. I graduated in 2001. Um, and I started in my junior year of college, I started working in corporate America. Uh, I worked at Bath and Body Works uh, as package design, where I, you know, I, I did a lot of, you know, uh, I learned a ton there, you know, and then I felt the need, I guess, because I was the only one in my family to go to college to get that degree, right? To get that piece of yeah. paper. But um, I was working full time as a junior in college and then went back my senior year to uh, finish it up. And I was working full time and going into school 18 and a half credit hours to wrap it up. So it was pretty, it was a gnarly year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but you, you, you started working at Bath and Body Works. Yep and packaged i mean that's similar to to tracing the flintstones on tv yeah so yeah i mean it was like you know i started out like as a production artist so i was dropping if you ever you remember uh i'm sure somebody in your life you've seen them they like looked lampshades that you'd put on top of a candle yeah i would i would uh the guy that would drop that pattern that would be printed on the lampshades that's what i started wow and then, uh between my junior and senior year they hired me to be a package designer. So I actually started designing like the labels, uh, you know, things like that, that would, you know, start to make, you know, you pick it up off the shelf to, to buy it and stuff. So did you have creative freedom with that? I mean, were you allowed to. Within like within a certain parameter, I mean, you, you would kind of get like, you know, very similar to like, uh, you kind of get like an outline and then you're, you're free to work within there until the, the, the vision, I guess, starts to become clear and then then they you know slowly start tightening down so yeah your yeah. initial first designs would be you know 15 20 designs and then it would get yeah. whittled down to like two or three and then you just noodle until it gets you know to everybody yeah. puts their thumbprint on it basically <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i get it so so you had this job right out of how old were you when you started working at bath and body works let's see it would have been uh 20 She's 24, I think, okay. 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah. And how long were you there? I was there for, I think it was three years I worked there. Okay. Okay. And yeah. then what? Where'd you I, go from I there? I left. I, so I, I was there, um, you know, I, I it was pretty brutal. I mean, I, I would, I, I had nights where I'd sleep under my desk and, you know, it was, it was not an easy job. Um, and then I left there and went to work at Limited 2. Um you know, and, and in life, I think you have to learn what you don't want to do. Um, and yeah. that's what I learned there. Um, you know, and I spent, I think I ended up being there about just a little over two years. And then yeah. after it was there where I decided, all right, now it's time to actually start doing what I, you know, want to do, I guess. And that's where I kind of took the leap of faith of, you know, going from making good money to, now I'm going to start over making zero and let's see what happens, you know? And, you know, when I frame it up for kids, I like to say it was, you know, this mind blowing moment. It's true. Was the question was, you know, it just kept popping in my head would be like, you know, what would happen if I started chasing my big weird dreams? Like what would happen if I go back to what I was like when I was six, you know, and dream in these weird worlds and all these stories that I kind of had in my head. And then, you know, I started down that path of, you know, really not knowing what I'm doing and failing failing you know try to figure out like what it is that i can learn from it but at the time 
I didn't know how to comprehend that. I just knew stress. I'm, I got to pay bills, all that stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, and for anybody watching the limited is, is a, um, humongous brand here in, in, I mean, headquartered, are they still around? Are they still in business? I think the actual limited dat now is only down to Bath and Body Works. I think. I mean, it was. I mean, at the time when I was there, it was Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie, Lane Bryant. Um, they don't. They don't still uh, have Victoria's Secrets. No, I think it was sold. I, I think it was sold. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I've I've really kind of uh, only kept in touch with the people I worked with at Bath and Body Works. So the people I know are still at Bath and Body Works. But I'm pretty sure it's down to just. At one point, wow. it was Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works, but I think now it might just be down to the one. I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Pretty pretty wild. Yeah. But at one they point, were, I mean, they were them all. I mean, they were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, yeah. They, they they were a massive brand. Les Wexner. Um, you and Les don't hang out. No. No. <laughs> Somehow he lost my number. I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got it, Les. Do better. So so. So you, um, you had, you said you had a moment where you were like, okay, I need to live my life and, and not less Wexner's. Yes, pretty much. (laughs) Right. Um, so what was that? What, what did you decide to do? Because like, you can't just go, well, I mean, you could, I guess, go start your own version of the limited brand or or, or, um, Bath and Body Works or whatever, but what, what did you do from there? Yeah. So what happened was that, you know, I had, you know, how you have an annual review, right. And I was in this annual review and by this time I had become friends with my boss and, you know, the review basically summed up was like, he's like, man, I can't believe I'm going to read this to you, but like, you're not going to get even a cost of living raise here because you make too much. You've tapped out here. Um, wow. And I, you know, and I just kind of, you know, and then there then later that week, there was we were in a meeting, and I had the same question that was just kept always digging under my skin. And you know, for whatever reason, when I would go run at night, I would kind of always like think in the back of my head, like, what could I do? Like, what's the thing? And you know, I think the universe checks these moments in your life to start paying attention to. And then for whatever reason, that particular day, this person in this meeting said something, and I was just like, I'm done. And I remember going home that night and tell my wife, you know, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but 1231.06 is my last day that I can work here. I can't do it anymore. And I went to work my next day and I told my boss, which they kind of laughed at me because they didn't, you know, I like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure it out. And I wrote that number everywhere. I had it on my rear view mirror. I had it on my bathroom wall. And so I just really started kind of like, uh, exploring i'm trying to discover what i wanted to do and this was this would have been around you know may i mean so i wasn't really like i was you know giving myself a whole head start and then i just started kind of like going back to leaning on my storytelling what i knew as a kid what i learned at bath and body works and brand storytelling you know which i learned a ton from that and then just started creating characters in these worlds and all this stuff and and so the first was I, you know, I went into, you know, went into a uh, business with uh, my best friend and I did not know that was a bad idea. Um, That's we, a great way to yeah, no longer be best friends. Yeah, did not, <laughs> did not know. And then, you know, we were both young. I was really, I was really inexperienced in life. You know, I, my parents, you know, 
always were supportive, always encouraged me to do. But like, you know, when you don't have, you know, they were, they were, they worked hard. They were like, yeah. you know, my dad was a maintenance guy, but like when you start to do business stuff and yep. you really don't know, and I like to explain it to people now, it's like when you break that family tree and there's a new branch and you want to make that, yep. you have to build that branch as you go along. And it's going to cost a lot of, uh, failing tears, fears, yeah, all of the above, and that's kind of what I went through. And you know, so we did that first thing. It lasted for what, what was the business? It was uh, the brand was called Quirky Mansfield. We were doing like t-shirts, like you know, different uh, licensing things, stuff like okay. that. Yeah. So that was like kind of my foray into licensing. And then, um, you know, a lot of things went really wrong in there. I took a lot of bad advice from people. We ended up getting into legal stuff for a while, and that, you know how that goes. Just, you know, I, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I see, I see. I just saw the other day um, this guy on TikTok. I guess it's been a couple weeks ago, but he makes these beautiful TV trays that you know, you know what a TV tray is. Oh, yeah. Make beautiful. I mean, they're lacquer finish, just beautiful. And they have NFL logos of teams and mm. NCAA teams as well, right? And I'm like, wow. And he's making them out of his house and he's selling the crap out of them. And I'm like, dude, you have oh. no idea what yeah. you're doing. You're going. Yeah. I have literally sat in the the uh, the licensing office at Ohio State University with the guy in charge of licensing. Like, dude, they frown upon oh, that. Yeah. Like, you do not use their logos without a licensing agreement. They will sue you into your grave. Like, yeah, they, yeah. I, I think that all the time. I've seen it a bunch, and I'm always like, you know, they're going to let you go so far. But once you yep. start making actual money, then they're going to come for you, and they're going to take oh, all yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They they don't play with that, man, and, yeah. and people don't get that. So So, okay, so that business flopped, it sounds like. Um, and how long did you guys do that? You and your, your buddy. So we ended up doing that for, uh, I think two and a half years. The legal stuff was like about three years total. I ended up at the end of that around myself Jeez. personally, about $92,000 in debt. Um, really no clue what I was doing. Um, right. you know, at that time, what I would do is I would put everybody else's money above me. You know, yeah. it was like yeah. people that invested were, were my friends and family. And I felt like, you know, I, I the concept of what you money can be replaced, but time can never be replaced, didn't sink in at the time. Like I never, right. thought, all I thought was shame. I'm letting these people down. I'm a failure. How can yeah. I fix it? So in the process, I just kept digging a hole for myself. Sure. And then um, from that, I started going into licensing in terms of building brands yeah. that were the intentions where I was supposed to have partners. But, you know, also this is ignorance coming into play at that time too. did not understand the importance of contracts before you start said partnerships. And so, you know, I, I would start getting down the road and then when it would start going, um, you know, either a people would not be hold up to their contract. And I didn't realize that, like, you know, I was I come from small town. Yeah. You, when you somebody you tell somebody you're going to do it, you kind of do it. Well, it doesn't work like that when it comes to business stuff, especially when money's involved. Right. Um, so I had to learn that hard lesson. And then um, I did that for about like four years where I was trying to get my, my, my footing back. And obviously trying to dig out of debt is yeah. that amount of that is difficult. Um, 
and that failed. Um, and then it was like, you know, basically what happened one day was uh, Chase, the bank, called me. And they said, uh, hey, uh, we're going to foreclose on your house. Unless, that's that's yeah. so nice of them. Yeah. Unless you can give us $14,000 like right now. And, you know, um, I was just like, I, I, I don't understand how this happened. Well, I was so focused on solving this problem. I didn't pay attention to my finances. I, I had the mindset of, okay, I know I need to make X amount of dollars a month to pay my bills. I yeah. never thought there was actually money past that. So surprise, surprise, every month I could manifest that much. Yeah. But that wasn't getting us anywhere. It was just basically putting like a Band-Aid on and like a Tom and Jerry cartoon where you can only plug so many until yeah. the water starts coming out years. This was my moment. And I'm, I'm at, you know, and the, the best way I can describe it, the, the aha, the what, what if I start chasing my big word dreams happened was um, I always wanted to write. That was always what I wanted to do. I always knew I was a storyteller. When I was a kid, I was the kid that was set in class and I had an idea pop in my head. I would stand up, tell everybody. I spent more time in the hall writing. I will not talk in class than I actually did <laughs> in class. And the problem was, is I had teachers growing up that told me I, I wasn't a good writer because absolutes make no sense to me. I do not understand grammar. I still do not understand grammar. Um, but I just know that I could tell stories. Yeah. And so here, here I was after all this failing, Chase calls me. I look in the bank account. We have $140 like total to our name. That's it. And, you know, I have responsibilities. I have kids at this time. I think he was my oldest was in. He was either, I think he was in middle school or might have been a freshman. I'm not sure. But then I had another kid too. And I remember being about 2.30 in the morning looking on monster.com, <laughs> cr crying, snot, tears. I'm going to have to go back to a job, which is the most petrifying thing to me is working for somebody else. Yeah. And um, for whatever reason, in that moment, some voice popped in my head that just asked that question. And then it said, what the heck are you doing? What, like, get up. You've done worse. Figure this out. And I remember I closed, I closed it all, composed myself, went to bed. And the next morning, I just happened to search Southwest that day, found that there was a round trip ticket to New York for 100 bucks. I looked at a credit card I had. I had $400 room on it. And I had just been... Uh, with Scholastic working on my first book deal. And I called and set up a meeting. I used that meeting to set up the next one to the next one to the next one. I basically snowballed all these meetings. And then I went to Starbucks for like a week solid and just wrote every single night. And I think- Wait, I you went to New, this is in New York? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I got, hold it. You had $400 to your name or on a credit card. How in the heck did you survive in New York on $400? Man, I, I, I don't know, but like I found a $100 round trip ticket. I oh found an Airbnb that I was able to like stay in somebody's apartment for $180. What? And that, that left me enough. And there's dollar pizza places around New wow. York, you know, and, you know, and I came armed with about 20 books concepts, sketches, you know, all this wow. stuff. And then all these meetings and I just trusted my gut. And then I was lucky enough to have a friend that lent me the money to pay off Chase to get them off my back. Wow. And then um, 
I was able to kind of just dig. And, you know, I, I think on that trip, I closed six book deals, um, you know, and then from now, there, it just became the whole process. <laughs> what does that mean? You closed six book deals. You, you, you writing six books? Yeah. So right, I write and illustrate my own books. Um, so I was able to close like six deals with, you know, wow. us, at the time it was like Scholastic, Simon Schuster, Macmillan was the three. Do you have any of those books handy that you can show people? Oh yeah, let me. Uh, if I can, give you let me give it one second here. I'm gonna go grab them okay. real quick. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to see see some of these. Wow, what a great story. That's right. Never, ever, ever, ever quit. Amen to that. I I think that. Um, well, you guys wait because his story takes an unbelievable turn. I know his story. You're not even going to believe. You're not even going to believe the the turn this story takes. So, um, okay, I didn't realize we would be there. He is. He's back. Okay. All right. All right. So he's back. Here we go. All right. So show, show some of the books that you have. So this was the. Uh first book that I closed with um, Simon Schuster. And then it led to these Big and Bunny book series. There's uh, three in this series, the Big and Bunny ones. Um, you know, then from that, I unfortunately don't have any of the Scholastic books um, over here within reach. Um, but- Oh, it's know, all good. It's I did, all good, I, did right? I, I did that. And then I started uh, a Nugget and Dog series with uh, Simon Schuster which is like an early graphic reader. Um, wow. I did uh, with Macmillan that trip. That was this book. Uh, it's okay to be a unicorn, which then also led to this one, which is a, it's okay to smell good. Um, so yeah, that was all that trip. And then, you know, um, and so you, you, I think when you're up against the wall and you're trying to figure stuff out, you have a choice that you can either just kind of fold. And, and now did they, so they, they paid you for these? Is that what yeah, I'm so, gathering? So what you basically, you know, kind of what a, how it works is you get an advance, right? Okay. So, you know, you get the advance against the royalties is how it yeah. works. You know, yeah, kind of, yeah. it's kind of the, it's, it's the same as licensing essentially. It's like yeah. you get, you get the reverse, you get the yeah. advance, but what they don't tell you um, is that, you know, if you don't sell past the advance, you don't make any more money. And, right. <laughs> and you know, you, you, uh, uh, you hear what they're going to do and you learn really quickly, you know, sometimes what somebody says they're going to do in marketing, what they do is, is two separate things. And so My, you, I, I yeah. have, I have a, um, <laughs> a good friend that is a four time New York times bestselling author um that says all publishers are liars and whores. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, you know, I, they, yeah. So they do put the, uh, the marketing onus on the author typically. So, so, so talk about, um, because your story is absolutely amazing. I'm sure that was a huge financial turnaround for you, at least temporarily. Um, talk about where things started going from there for you. And, and I, and there is a, I told everybody while you were away getting the books that there's a moment in your story that 
it's is unbelievable um but talk about where things started going for you from there yeah so from there you know i learned real quick that um you know one that the money is limited as far as like the advance goes so you're going to have to figure out how to to solve it so i started doing school visits and you know i had no clue so uh, what a school visit was so i just kind of said well if i was a kid in the audience, I would like somebody that was doing what I did to tell me what it was like for them as a kid, and then also how to dream big and go after them. So I kind of like did my first school visit, and a principal came up to me afterwards, and they were just like, "Wow, that was different." And I'm like, "Oh, like different, good or different, bad?" And they're like, <laughs> "Different, really good." And I and she said, "Most authors don't do that." And I'm like, "Do what?" And she's like, you didn't even talk about your books. And I was like, well, why would I do that? Like, I I have a moment to like actually touch them in a way that gets them to see that they can be whatever they want to be. So mm. I kind of use that to my advantage. And then, you know, so I come up with five things and I talk to kids about. It. And then that just kind of snowballed from there where I do a lot of school visits. You know, I mean, prior to COVID, I was, I was speaking to average about 40 to 50,000 kids a year um wow all over the country and then um you know and then you know as it all was going well it was like things were moving and 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 books weren't like when i do a school visit i sell books and i sell a lot of books and and so you think that when you get into publishing and especially like you know these big publishers you think that okay great i've made it but yeah. what happens is, is that you realize real quick that like you're just another book in their huge catalog of books. Yeah. And unless you're willing to do all this extra stuff, then it, it doesn't, you know, really kind of pan out. But then we had the unicorn book. Um, it's OK to be a unicorn. And this would would have been um, 2000 and that's the other part. People don't realize that books take about two years they get started about two years prior to they come out, which yeah. is also the fun fact of an advance. You know, you have to stretch that advance for two years. Yeah. And um, when you're signing that contract, you don't necessarily know that whole thing. You kind of know that, hey, I have these books. Yeah. And you think, oh, well, they'll keep moving. But, you know, you have to kind of it's it's a constant struggle, I think, as a, especially as somebody that's starting out in this. I think everybody has these expectations, the same as I did at the time of, okay, I made it. I mean, when I was a kid, I dreamed of having books at Scholastic Book Fair. Yeah. You know, I had books at Scholastic Book Fair and I still have books at Scholastic Book Fair, but I don't have the bank account that says, you know, that, that you think yeah. is associated with that. Um, so you're not, uh, you know, I'm good friends with Mark Victor Hansen, uh -huh. Chicken Soup for the Soul. You know, they were getting, I believe, at one point, million dollar advances on on some of their books. Um, I, I'm I'm assuming I could be wrong, but I'm assuming you weren't getting million dollar advances on on these no. book deals. <laughs> no, I, I I wish. I think that you know, it's a yeah. difference, and that's the other part is that there's, there's a huge difference between a children's book and an adult book. Yeah, you know, like sure. I, I would imagine that I have no actual info to back this up, but I would imagine when you're looking at a book deal as far as kids' books, the people getting those types of things are like the cap, you know, Dave Pilkey, Captain Underpants, 
Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. Mo Willems, like those guys that are like that. Anybody that doesn't have kids knows who they are. Those are the guys yeah. that are getting those. Um, Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. Like those, <laughs> yeah. those are the people getting those yeah. advances in children's yeah. stuff. And right. um, so, yeah. So then I, you know, we had the It's Okay to Be Unicorn coming out. And, you know, yeah. McMillan had picked it to be their kind of their book of the year. And wow. they were pumping money behind it. And then this is right when when I start start the book tour. Um, COVID is kind of in the background. Like people are starting to talk about it. It's starting to kind of go like people are kind of like, what is this thing? Wow. And then when I was in North Carolina um, for the book tour, the last they got there when I was there, I was in. And hold on, I lost your internet cut out there. What oh, what was that? You were in North Carolina and what? I was in North Carolina, the last stop of the book tour when they got their first case in the state in the town I was in. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like, this thing is real. And then I remember like that trip home. It was like, you know, it was before masks. So you're like, people are coughing. You're like, oh, and you think because, you know, it's floating everywhere. Mm. And um, and then the day that the unicorn book or the day, or I guess, COVID shut down the world. The unicorn book was uh, going into Target and Barnes and Noble, which landed obviously with a thud because there's nobody out in the stores. Um, wow! And then so it was basically during that process, and I think that you know I think your audience would understand this. I think you would understand this. That sometimes when everything is going the way you think it's supposed to go, um, the universe has a weird way of throwing a wrench in there to make you see it from a different angle. And that's kind of what happened with me is I started looking at publishing in a different way because it, as your world slows down, you know, it was going on at a fast clip, right? It was school visit, school visit, school visit. I'm doing all this stuff, meeting all kinds of kids. This is just, it's, it's just going. And then yeah. all of a sudden when everything shuts down, you start kind of like stopping and thinking. And then when you, especially when you start talking to publishers and you say like, this is what I'm experiencing at schools. Like this is, this is info that you are paying you know, trending companies to tell you what's happening. I ask these questions of kids and then I do what most adults do, don't do is I shut up and listen to them because they are so much smarter than we give them credit for. And yeah. I would go back and say, Hey, this, this is a great idea. And then I would start this log of like all this stuff. And then it was during that time um, when I started just in the back of my head, the seed of self-publishing started getting like planted yeah, and I started thinking about like, well, I'm tired of everybody telling me what I can and can't do. And um, so then I started like, and as it went through, and then one day I was started talking to my editor at the time, McMillan, I said, hey, you know, I think I'm going to maybe think about this self-publishing stuff. And it was like, boy, that's expensive. And, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. I think there's a way to round it. Like, you know, and I just started digging in and then... Um, he called me one day right before they were getting ready to buy another round of books. And he said, they just let our whole imprint gone go like the, everybody in that group left. And these were my friends. These are people that I got to know. Um, yeah. I felt like I was really at home at this place. And then uh, they ditched me. I mean, it was like, it was just like that company as a whole just basically kind of said, good luck. And then the skunk book came out and there was nothing. So it went from being like book of the year to my new editor was an intern who like when they came back with the first round of edits for the book they were supposedly buying they said we love the story we love the character could it do something different 
And I said, like, what? And they said, well, that's your job. And I'm like, well, it's kind of not. Like, I need to kind of know something. And and it was like then when I said, okay, I write books, I illustrate books. Could I actually start making books? So that's when I really started the self-publishing, started really digging into it, figuring it out. And, yeah. uh, you know, now I, I only self-publish my books. Um, yeah. You know, I have my third one's getting print. I actually just sent it to the printer yesterday. I just approved it. Uh, for printing this this is uh the first one and this one um the best you and then uh, the inspiration fairy just came out like uh, uh a couple months ago um wow. but you know in this this may be a good segment into the actual part of the, the yeah yeah the 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 turning point the yeah. but you know i do how many books have you written and illustrated in total I have, uh, I believe, 22 out right now. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I have, I mean, geez, I, if I wouldn't have lost my iPad on a plane, <laughs> I had nine other books that were done. I just, you know, like a, like a dummy, all, you know, this is for your audience, all back up to the cloud. I did not back up to the cloud. So I had to restart, you know, from new. Um, but some pretty amazing stuff came out of that restart as well. So it's 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 an yeah. interesting thing again, where your darkest times, there's some pretty amazing stuff that comes out of it when you're open yeah. to it. So um, so yeah. so talk about the 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 turning the 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 next yeah probably the biggest pivotal moment of your life. Um, yeah. talk about that a little bit. So it, it was actually while illustrating this book. Which one? Hold on. Your internet's oh. frozen again. There you go. Oh, okay. there right. it is. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got all the, I got all the, I got all the bars. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's um, bad. So the, uh, the best you, I was actually doing the illustrations for this story when, this okay. and to kind of give a context of what this story is about, um, I sat down and this was after starting therapy on myself. It was after like doing a lot of soul searching, um, starting to that process of uncovering what problem I brought to all of my situations. Um, and essentially, if, if you think of it in context of like, you know, we blame everything else, but the toughest thing to do is to flip this back on ourselves. Right. And that's where then I kind of woke up and I, I flipped that, back on myself and looked at the mirror and said, what, what do I have a problem in? And I was talking to my son's basketball coach and uh, just a routine call. He had a tournament coming up and I was talking to him just about the, 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 the boys and how everything was going. And all of a sudden I knew what I wanted to say, but the words and my thoughts did not connect. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up with my, my head down, and my phone is, is in my crotch. And I'm like, and it was the coach calling back. And I answered nonchalant. I was like, you know, Hey, what's going on? It's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, like I fell asleep. Isn't that weird? You know? And he's like, well, he's like, I was just getting ready to go to the gym. I was calling you one more time. I've been trying to call you back for like 45 minutes. He's like, it sounded like you went underwater. And I'm like, Oh, that's weird. And Wow. So I, at the time I was renting the studio space and the bathroom was down this like long hallway. And as I'm walking to the bathroom, I'm like, where are my shoes? Like I had no shoes on. And, and when I get to the bathroom, I had peed my pants and I'm thinking like, okay, wait a minute. I'm a grown man. Like what happened here? 
And what? it was just really confusing. And I, you know, of course, embarrassing. So then I walked back to my office and I'm looking everywhere and I can't find my shoes. And at the building, there was a, a loft in the front that I never went into ever. But in the far corner, stacked on top of each other, perfect was my shoes. And I'm like, that's weird. I, you know, and then my wife texted me and said, where are you? And I said, you know, well, I, I fell asleep, um, but I'm on my way home now. And yeah, of course, came home, backpack in front of me, ran up, took a shower because I was embarrassed, you know, because I peed my pants. And um, in the shower, it felt like I was levitating. It felt disconnected. And I'm like, I, I don't know what is happening right now. And um, did I you wear of, your shoes home? Yeah, I did wear my shoes home. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Once I, I, I yeah, yeah. Like, once I found them, I put them back on. Yeah, because I am a uh, I am a shoe guy. So I and I you don't know shoes. and you at, you don't know why your shoes were off still. I did at this point wow. in time. I I do now, but I didn't then. Yeah. It was just wow. like you know, it was just confused. And and I remember like driving home, and it felt like a dream. And like you know, I was there, but I wasn't. And and then in the shower, it felt I was disconnected from something. And then um, my son's best friend's mom is a pediatrician. And my wife was talking to her and said, you know, this is what's happened. He's got like a weird, you know, I don't have hair anyway, but there is a weird red spot on his head. Uh, and she said, you know, take him to the urgent care. I went there. They were confused. But luckily for me, across the street is, is an emergency room. And they just said, go to the emergency room. They have a CT scan. And I was, went over there. It wasn't busy. So we got to get right back. And they do the CT. And we're sitting there. And the doctor comes in. And he said, you're going to hang out here until a bed opens up. And I'm like, a bed opens up where? And he's like, at the hospital. I'm like, uh, OK. And I'm like, he goes, I go, why? And he goes, there's a shadow. And I'm, I said, uh, I don't understand what you mean by a shadow. And he said, well, there's a shadow. We don't know what it is, but you're going to need to go get admitted to get it. And I'm like, for a shadow? Like, it just didn't click, right? And um, he goes, like, and he said to me, and I remember, it. he goes, look, if I had a family member in your position, this is exactly what I would do. I just, just trust me. And I was like, okay, cool. And I ended wow. up going to Riverside, Riverside Hospital is where I went uh, here in Columbus. And uh, we got checked in there. And um, you know, you wait. It's a waiting game, right? When you're in the emergency room and I'm waiting yeah. and waiting. I have no clue at all what's, what's happening at all. I just know that I'm in a bed and I have a shadow. And then it was around, um, a shadow on the CT scan. Yeah. That's all I know. Yeah. We just know it's a shadow. Okay. Oh, oh, there we go. There. Um, it was about, I have no clue what is happening. I literally have all of the things and I have a really strong internet. Um, but the uh, on about 2 30, 3 o'clock in the morning, they came in and they had this cup of the nastiest crap I've ever drank in it. Um, and I uh, called contrast. And um, if you've ever had it, usually it's an IV, but I think for what I was doing, they needed me to drink it. Um, and they, they're like, you're gonna have to go, you're gonna get an MRI now. And you know, uh, I didn't know what an MRI was at the time. And, and it's for context, I've never been sick. You know, I broke an arm when I was 10. Um, you know, like I, this is my first time ever in a hospital, uh, you know, for anything. Never had surgery, wow. no nothing. And um, they put me in the, uh, the machine. 
it, it was weird, makes all kinds of noises, all that crap. Yeah, that. That's at three in the morning when you're like, you know, and you're confused. And then uh, we sat there forever afterwards. And then um, the, uh, I don't know, I, I, I don't, my I thought I was only in the hospital for a day, but it was three days, you know, but like my wife kind of connects the dots for me now, but I don't remember much of it, but I remember bits and pieces. And then um, just one time, like it was a young doctor. She just came in and said, has anybody taught read your MRI to you? And we we're like, no. And uh, she just kind of looks at it. She goes, oh, it's got high glioma and just kind of walks away. And she said, why? Like, you broke up. It's, I said, she said, it's, uh, it looks like it's a high grade glioma. And um, she just kind of leaves it at that and says, somebody will come in and talk to you. Well, as we're sitting there, you, of course, now I have shadow, high grade glioma. I'm an artist and writer. I don't know what the hell any of that means. <laughs> right. You're and, like, Google, help. Yes. So yeah. I, I, I talk my wife into giving me my phone. And I, of course, do the worst thing you could possibly do. And I never recommend anybody do this. I doctor Googled it and read the first sentence of what a glioma was. And I just handed it back. and. Uh, you know, long story short, you know, about probably a couple hours later, doctors come in and they said, you know, you're getting ready to go upstairs. Um, they're going to do brain surgery because you have this tumor and it's a high grade glioma or they thought at the time it was a high grade glioma, um, which if people don't know what that is, you don't don't Google it. It's it's uh, it's scary as hell. It's what John McCain had. It's what Joe Biden's son had. It's what ted kennedy had it's it is the king of kings when it comes to cancer i mean it, it's it's in your brain um you know wow. and uh my doctor was amazing and you know he came in and assured me that he felt like he could get it all um because i was very lucky where mine was you know not everybody has a luxury and and this is what's you know uh interesting about what i have is you know a lot of times what I would have would be kind of in the center of your brain. For me, it was in the back right, kind of on the outside of my brain. And it's mm -hmm. away from anything motor functions, you know, stuff like that. That's why when you see me, I don't look like, even after my surgery, people didn't, I did not look like what you picture a cancer patient being like. And um, so, you know, he, I, I did the whole, uh, you know, I try to, I try to approach everything with levity, right? I try to like, kind of, you know, ease up the situation. So when I was getting ready to go into surgery, I just said, you know, Hey, I, I don't want the twilight stuff. I want to be alert for when I go into the surgery. Cause I, for whatever reason, I just wanted to see, you know, what the heck happens, you know? And, uh, so my doctor comes in and it was really funny now laughing. I, I actually laughed with him about this when we did our, when he, I did my follow-up over the surgery i said i said to him essentially i said hey i'm good at my job and he goes well what do you do and i said i write and illustrate kids books and he and he interjects with about neff who is an amazing medical illustrator and uh i was like no 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 i i, I know who neff is like but what i'm asking you is i know what i'm doing do you know what you're doing <laughs> right and he goes oh man you got, i got this no problem and he fist bumps me well, I must have shook him enough because he forgot to mark on my head what side, you know, how they have to do a surgery. The doctor has to mark where the yeah. <laughs> So they run down the hall and get him and they bring him back in and he marks my head and he's like, oh, man. 
and I'm, you know, and so uh, wow. anyway, they wheeled me into the uh, uh, the operating room, and it was the craziest thing. It was like a stainless steel room, and I see the tea table where I'm going to lay, and all that. And then on the screens on each wall were these big, massive television screens. I had my brain on each screen. Jeez. And all these nurses and and I'm guessing doctors, I don't really know for sure who they are, but they all have like kind of iPads. They're all doing their thing. And the person that wheeled me in, and I'm sure it didn't happen in the same timeline I did, but it felt like it was like boom, boom, boom. Um, they said, I remember them saying, uh, Dr. Fleming is 60 seconds out. And all of a sudden the, the room just came to life in an instant. And the next thing I know, I'm getting woke up by somebody wearing uh, this really nice lady wearing a Wonder Woman lanyard. And we talked about Wonder Woman and the movies. And I was just like, so when do we start? And she's just like, oh, honey, you've been out for three hours. Like, you're done. And wow. um, so, yeah, I, I ended up getting it up to the uh, uh, ICU unit where they give me uh, a drug that is immediately as soon as they give it to me, I was like, I never want this again. Because, I mean, you could have cut my arm off and I would have laughed about it. I mean, I did not feel a thing or think about anything. And uh, I told my first nurse, I was like, I got to get out of here as soon as possible. Let's get, let's get on it. And I was out of the ICU in I think about 13, 14 hours and then down on the floor. Um, and they were I did, that day I did the motor, all the motor skills and all that stuff like wow. that. And the physical therapists were kind of shocked by how like I had no, they're like, are you not dizzy? Are you, I'm like, Nope, I'm, I'm good. Like, you know, and, and I was back home in two days, um, you know, I after only, having brain surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Take, and I was only taking Tylenol for pain. Like they told me to take the pain meds, but like I didn't need it. The worst part of brain surgery is the steroids. Um, they make you take steroids because you have to, it, what they say is to keep the swelling down. Um, but it makes you feel like Kool-Aid man, man one minute, like you could bust through a wall and then. The next minute, like the world is on a complete delay. Like you are on like a 10 second delay from everybody else. And they can't wean you off of those. Like they have to wean you off. They can't just take you off of them. So for the first two weeks, it was like this, like you had this, like, you know, imagine like putting Vaseline over your glasses. Like, you know, the world is happening, but you have no real clue of what's happening. Wow. And, um, and then that starts another waiting game. Because you're waiting to find out what the hell they took out of your head, you know, because it's got to be sent to pathology. It's got to be sent to all these different things. And, uh, you know, and I finally get the call that the pathology has come back. And this is two weeks after having the surgery. And, uh, you know, it was like basically the long and short was that the first doctor at Riverside, amongst all of it, I should say that they they informed me that Anthem was not covering a single part of my surgery. Um, so wow. it, was, it was like the surgery was uncovered, um, which that bill is one that you just kind of look at and go like, well, you're going to put it back because I'm not paying this one. There is no way. <laughs> <laughs> you got to put it back. Because yeah. like wow. uh, this, this, it just kept racking up. Right. And um, wow. So they came in and he, he had said to me, you know, it's like when a doctor tells you the word cancer, it's like the world slows down and it kind of, you get stuck on that word. 
and they're continuing to tell you and your loved one that's with you all this stuff. And essentially what he said was it came back as cancer, but they, they have to send it out for a second and third opinion because nobody could agree on what it was for sure, which at the time you don't know what to think of that. All you hear is cancer and you think like, Oh my God. Yeah. And on top of it, they are telling me that they're also going to boot me over to Ohio state. So to the James, which yeah, looking back was the best thing that had happened because it's a really wonderful hospital here it's amazing. In, in Ohio that I would definitely recommend, you know, anybody yeah. to go to. And, um, unless you don't have to, Unless you don't have to. Yes. Avoid, <laughs> right. Avoiding the hospital is always best. Let's, yeah, always let's, under, one. let's underscore that. Yeah, yeah. So. that's always number one, avoiding yeah, the hospital. Right, right. And um, so, yeah, so I, I, I fast forward about, I, I was about a week and a half, and, you know, Ohio State's saying the same thing. They're out of network. Uh, Anthem's not going to cover all any of it. Anthem is telling us stuff like, uh, well, you should have told the doctor to hold on or you should have bet the bet. My favorite was they told uh, my wife that, well, I guess you should have picked a better plan. Um, and you're just like, you know, wow. Uh, or you need to go to this specialist. Well, what they isn't, there was zero specialist in Ohio for this. Like it was like anything in network didn't exist. And, right. um, so the James, uh, you know, luckily um, we had a friend who uh, she works with nurse practitioners and my wife in a moment of desperation just said, post it on Facebook. Do we know anybody that works at the James? And our friend immediately called. She's like, what doctor are you trying to see? And I, and I kind of explained it. She, she got it all set up for us. And we started that process of that. Uh, in the meantime, you know, my treatment is supposed to begin. I still don't know what it is for sure. Nobody has told me all that stuff. And uh, we go to the first appointment, you know, uh, with was with the radiation oncologist. And then I'm going to have my appointment with the actual oncologist after. So um, the radiation oncologist basically tells you all the stuff they're going to blast your head with and all that stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's like getting just a mound of information dumped on your head that you have no clue what any of it means. And you just think the whole time, like, I hope that means that it's not going to come back. Right. And, and meanwhile, they've also taken out part of your brain or at least, yeah. I don't know that it was part of your brain, but they took out yep. something. Right. Yep. Oh yeah. I still have the whole to this day. Yeah. And um, so and let me ask you, did they, did, cause you said it was the right back side of your brain um, wasn't frontal, none of that. So your, your memory, did it affect anything? Like, no, I, I think the only time, the only thing that I don't have memory of was the actual seizure. Um, and the actual, like the, like I told you, like the three days prior yeah. to the surgery. Um, yeah. but I get waves like every once in a while, like if I like meditate and stuff, sometimes something will pop up and I'm, Oh, I remember that. But as okay. far as like any sort of like childhood memories or I want to do this kind of like not, I've I've not had side effects, you know, from any of those things. Wow. Which is also kind of a mess with you type of thing because you kind of think like, yeah, well, they, they tell me this, but but at the same time, it's a blessing. It's a weird dynamic. And um, yeah, but yeah, so I, I had like, like I said, all that with the radiation oncologist and then my appointment afterwards. And the way I like to explain this chapter to people was 
if I were to tell you that this doctor, they did a bad job, that's giving them a compliment. Um, oh, wow. It was the worst experience by far. And I was, I was like a kid that was bullied beyond bullied uh, as growing up. And this was by far the worst experience I've ever had in my life. And wow. this doctor essentially gets the results. She come, they came into the room um, saying they didn't have the results yet. And then all of a sudden the phone, their phone pings and it's the results. And rather than doing, I don't know the a million things that you could do to excuse yourself to actually go read it. Um, they decide to read it in front of me. And oh. the first thing they say is, Oh, this isn't good. And then they um, just look up at me and say uh, stage four glioblastoma. And then um, you're going to be dead in seven months. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing. Wait, but they I'm, said they said you're going to be dead in yeah. seven months. It wasn't exactly how it was said, but it was said something like this. So they said stage four. I said, well, you know, Rocky four is my favorite Rocky movie. And stats don't mean anything to me because I think that stats are meant to be broken. Their comment back was, we've had people that are like you come in and in seven months they're dead. And what, 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 okay, just a random, <laughs> here's a random, random question. I know this yeah. has nothing to do really well. Why seven? I mean, they could have said eight, they could have said five, they could have said, why the number seven months? I have no clue. It was just a weird, but you stick on that, right? Cause you're just like, you know, like, oh my God, that's like right near my birthday. What are you talking about? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it, you're just like, what that, you know what? Like, you're just like, what the hell? Like, you know, because <laughs> prior you're like, everything is fine. Like I'm feeling fine. All of a sudden I was talking to my kid's coach and the next thing I know, here I am. And now you're telling me that I'm going to be dead in seven months. Yeah. And, Robert, Robert Brooker says, so they had that mindset. Exactly. Yeah. And um, Wow, dude, that, that is crazy. Yeah. So she, she continues to just, I shouldn't say. And this is a doctor. This is a doctor. At um, the James? At the James. And wow. they continue to kick. I mean, when I mean kick, not physically, but just kick on your heart, right? Wave of just nonsense just keeps coming. And at one point they finally stopped being a stat reader and a treating me like a, you know, Excel spreadsheet. And they see that they actually go back into being a human and they see that I'm shook, you know, and they put their hand on my knee. And this is where I learned the, the valuable lesson of advocating for yourself. And they said, do you need me to step out of the room? And I, for whatever reason, in that moment, I looked at them and I said, does that mean you're going to leave and come back a different person? And they said, no. And I said, then you need to get this over with because you seem to be enjoying this. And I let them finish. I immediately afterwards fired them, um, went back and told, I, I, well, I shouldn't say immediately. So I, the, this, this thing was the nurse at the end of that day, um, Charles, came in. Charles is supposed to cover all the paperwork with me and he sees what's happening and just like he's a human, you know, and uh, wow. he, he puts the paper down and he says, I'm supposed to go through this stack of stuff, but instead, how are you doing? 
and he just talks. And we spent about an hour and a half. Wow. Crying, hugging each other. And then he just gives us the paper and says, read this whenever you want, you know. And um, I spent the next week because treatment is supposed to, no, don't forget, chemo radiation is supposed to start the following week. And I've never really experienced anxiety in my life. Um, you know, I think as a kid, I, I I experienced it from a bully standpoint, but not really like internally what anxiety was. Yeah. And I felt like um, everything I experienced from my childhood, all the people that told me I was going to fail, all of that stuff that I had been pushing down, which had became the foundation for hatred for myself. You know, I, I am the king of self-loathing back then for sure. Um, it all boiled up and it lodged right here. And for a week, I felt like somebody literally was choking me. And um, wow. my wife has had lots of experience with anxiety. And she, she and I, I don't even know how many miles we walked that week. And I would be like, I need to go for a walk. And we would just talk. And she would talk me through all of the stuff I was experiencing. And, uh, you know, being my rock, essentially, like, just really kind of, like, taking me through the whole steps. And then she um, you know, explains, I think you have an anxiety and whatever. And by that Thursday, it was getting so insane that I just could, I couldn't breathe. I mean, it was like every day. I mean, I didn't sleep because every time I closed my eyes, all I thought was, I'm going to die. You know, it was like every, think of any, think of your whole life's bad stories and negative self-talk you've told yourself and it all comes back in a week span. And it's just yeah. like, it's like a crowd in your head and you just can't escape it. And I called my radiation oncologist who I loved when I met him to ask for a second opinion, which I knew I wasn't actually doing that. I just needed them to hear what happened. And his fellow called and he explains to me all the reason why self uh, second opinion is a dumb idea, which I didn't disagree at all. <laughs> and um, I said to him, I go, well, actually, what I want to tell you is what happened. And I explained to him how that, that visit went. And he was just like, you have to be kidding me. And um, wow. he said, well, I'm going to talk um, to the doctor and then I'll get back to you. And so I have a great group of friends that were nice enough to invite us over you know, every day. And so Friday comes, we go to one friend's house and we're trying to escape. I mean, essentially is what you're yeah. trying to escape, figure out something. And right. Sunday came around and I have a good friend who has a, um, a lake house and we were, it was just my wife and his wife and he and I, and we were just sitting on their back porch and my phone rings and it's Ohio state medical center. And I'm thinking, Oh God, like, can I just get a break? You know, like it's a yeah. Sunday for God's sake. Right. And uh, I answer it, and it's the radiation oncologist. And he says, you have a minute. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm, I'm bracing for impact, you know, because this is what I'm expecting. This is what I'm, you know, I'm in that mindset right now, right? Yeah. And um, first thing he says to me, he goes, I just need you to breathe because I think everything she told you wasn't true. And this man spent the next hour um with me explaining to me why he became a doctor telling me all the reasons why he felt my case was different um and it was like i was on this bike path and 
when I tell you that I physically felt my lifetime trauma leave my body, like I, I'm not exaggerating. I, I literally dropped down to my knees. I am bawling on this bike path. And I tell him, you know, I'm like, I don't know what made you call me today, but I'm like, you just saved my life. And I entered into my, my radiation, not as a patient, you know, the flip happened was I stopped at that moment. I know now back then I didn't, but now I know in that moment, I stopped letting my diagnosis define who I was. And I chose, mm. and I chose to live from that point forward. And my goal was every time I'm going to go into my radiation, I'm going to make sure that everybody I come across understands that I'm here to make their day better. And I just embrace that mindset. And then that's where the deep shit starts happening, where I really flip that mirror and I start analyzing all the stuff in life. Like what did all of these things play into it? Because here's the thing that nobody talks about when it comes to cancer. It is like at brain cancer, at least. Um, it's like growing another person in your head, okay? Because right. it's got its own DNA and it's got its own stuff because it's a solid state, you know, to it. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, is that there's no genetic marker that tells you whether or not you're going to get it, which in my mind, and I've talked to my oncologist about this, my, my new one, who is absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, I should, I should say, tell a quick story about him before I, I'll circle back to that. Give me one. Let me, let me, so when I actually get into my new oncologist, who is uh, one of the best humans I've ever been around. First thing he says, is he comes in the room, he says, I understand that there was a misunderstanding. He's, uh, he uses the other doctor's first name and he's the chief. So you know that they're pissed when they don't refer to the other doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. By doctor, whatever. Uh, Bob. Uh, yes. And, Bob's an idiot. Don't listen yeah. to Bob. <laughs> and he said, you know, um, your diagnosis happens to say that you have the genetic makeup that could be a glioblastoma. It doesn't say you have a glioblastoma. And the problem was, is in my case, my tumor was only an inch by an inch and a quarter. It was very small. And in the notes, it said there wasn't enough material to determine what it was. Well, my wife, God love her, goes back in and reads all the surgical notes. She's really into all that stuff where I avoid it. She goes into that. And she had read all the surgical notes. And she interrupts him and says, well, wait a minute. If there's not enough material, what happened to the other half that the, the surgeon froze? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, and she, he, she shows him. And he gets out his phone and texts that right away. Well, fast forward to the next visit. What you're waiting to find out when it comes to uh, glioblastomas is if it's methylated or not. If it's methylated, it means it responds really well to the type of chemo that you take. Um, for me, the, why mine was so bad was because one, it had one bad genetic marker, but it, they couldn't determine if it was methylated. So I, I qualified for no clinical trials, no whatever, based right. off of that tumor. And um, between that time, he said, when we get back in there, he comes in and he's got this huge grin on his face. And he's, he said, um, you know, uh, it was actually here. And it's got to be sent back to Riverside because they were supposed to, they weren't supposed to actually have it yet. He goes, before I sent it back, though, I had pathology here run it. And not only is your tumor methylated, it's hypermethylated. So it negates the bad 
and there's these certain genetic markers that they're looking for, and there's five of them, and he says, and it has all five of these markers. So essentially, I qualify for every clinical trial that's going on, and all wow. stuff like that. Um, so, you know, uh, so kind of circling back to that whole thing is I, I went into that approach of, I'm not going to be a cancer person. I'm going to be kind of a light in the storm. And so when I talked to the same oncologist, I went into him and I said, like, look, man, I'm like, you told me that there's no genetic markers that says what gene is going to trigger this. So therefore, you also can't tell me that I can't be the human that creates the gene and the genetic thing that makes sure this doesn't come back. Right. And he said that I can't argue with that. And I said, and then the media and everybody else wants to fight cancer. Right. That's what everybody wants you to say is fight cancer. And I have never felt any kinship with that idea at all. And right. so what I said to him was I said, so here's how I look at it. If you tell me every day I'm supposed to wake up and fight cancer and I'm a person that believes what you think about you bring about. If I wake up every day saying fight cancer and aren't, aren't I bringing cancer into my life? So instead, what I'm actually doing is I'm choosing to live and I'll let cancer do its thing. And, yeah. you know, and then I started digging into, you know, in the U.S., we don't have anything about food. We don't have anything about spirituality. We don't do any research. We just think about what pill can you take to mask over the problem? And, and I, I, I do want to talk about that a little yeah. bit. And and I can't believe we've been on here an hour <laughs> and five. This is an hour long show. We've been on an hour <laughs> and five. Um, but I do want to I, I do want to talk about that because I do. I think that. Um, in medicine, you know, first off, there are a lot of people who are doctors or nurse practitioners or nurses or not, not everybody. There are a lot of amazing people that are, that are in the, that space, but a lot of people get, I, and I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of people that get these God complexes. Like, you know, it's called a medical practice. Yeah practice for a reason they're they don't always know they yeah. don't they they just don't know and and you know um it's a it's an educated guess quite often and and you know so again everybody is different and we are all the spiritual energy on top of physical mass and I, th I think that, you know, too many people forget about that, that what you think about, you bring about and everything you just said, everything yeah. you just said is so true. Absolutely. And I think that's the, that's the catch is what I noticed when I went into radiation treatment was everybody looked sick. And my uh, radiation oncologist, one of the last visits, he said, you know, I've never had a patient where the nurses literally are arguing who gets to come come in to take care of you because they're like, you are such like a light. And, and, I, and I knew that's when I did it right. You know, and it was like, and I, I noticed that people would like, um, when I would walk by them, they would smile and we would like, yeah. you know, we were wearing masks, but you could tell, you know, and, yeah. and it was just like, you know, when you want to, you, you realize real quick that like, if you can, if you, if people understood the power that they have to be able to change yep. anything in your life, 
that doesn't, it's not wishing, it's not, you know, all these things. It's literally sitting there and going like, I mean, you nailed it right on the head. Like everybody's different. Like, you know, and what the only thing that made me different was when this first doctor decided to tell me that, I decided to 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 hear with my ears, not with hers. And right. and so it's that simple. It's something that like in a split second, you can change, you know, because what happens is is I think as a as a human species we have all of this junk that we're getting we have judgments right yeah. and how we deal with it is we pass our judgment on somebody else because if we make that other person feel like crap then i feel better and yeah. meanwhile we're nobody's getting a damn thing done because all we're doing is thinking everybody sucks versus just asking a simple question that says what can i bring to this situation that could make it better right and you know and then so when i started looking at it i said to my doctor and I, we do it all the time. I, I'm like, you know, cause I get scans now and I should probably tell everybody I'm okay. Um, I've had nine clear scans now. I have a hole in my head. Um, and every time I do it, my doctor, it's really fun. I'm, I'm a fairly big guy. I'm like six, three and like 200 pounds. And, um, I'm in awesome shape now. I mean, like who knew I needed to get a brain cancer to get a six pack, but like I apparently <laughs> did. Um, and I work out, uh, every day for an hour. I, I met my day starts out in meditation. I wash my hands, splash water in my face. First thing in the morning, I look myself in the mirror and I say, man, it's great to see you. I fist bump the mirror every single day. That's like everything I went from somebody that literally hated myself. Yeah. Like hated myself with like, I mean, and it's important to point out that if this was all happening when I was going around the country, inspiring kids and telling everybody what I wish to do, because what would happen is I'd have these prolific moments with kids. I'm talking about like teachers crying because a kid that didn't talk to other people is all of a sudden talking to me. They're hugging me. They're like all this stuff. And I would get in the car. Get in the car. I would like, get in the car and tell myself, nobody cares about what you're doing. Like, who do you think you are? Like, it was just self-loathing on top of, on top of, on top of. And it just became this like, you know, it literally felt like you talk about a monkey on your back. I had a freaking silverback on my back, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it was by noticing that in a split second and realizing that like, even in your darkest times in the corner, if you're paying attention, there's always love chilling and it's been there the whole damn time yeah. waiting for you to pay attention and see it. The problem is we're so blinded by our own bullshit that we do not take a moment to disconnect from what you're projecting on everybody else and see what you are actually bringing to the table. And, you know, and then you start going like, well, if I can be the best me, okay, what's the best me? What can I control? I can control right. my attitude. I control my spirituality and I can control what I take in food wise. And so I changed my diet. Like we did a, my wife again, God love her, like researcher loves to look up this stuff. She found all this research done in the UK about the keto diet and its effects on brain cancer. And there was these guys that like same sort of thing I did. They were inoperable. They were worse off actually because they were given like four months and it was like their, their tumor was considered like fatal. They all decided, and these are all guys, different parts of the country from each other. They all decided that they weren't going to do any treatment because it was they couldn't yeah. have surgery and they were just going to live their life. But what they were going to change was they were going to start adding meditation to their life and they were going to switch their diet up to keto because somebody told them keto diet works for cancer. Fast forward, 
um, you know, these all these years later. The one guy died of COVID, didn't even die of brain cancer. The other guy who uh, is still alive, uh, he's I think I think my wife said he's ten. He's now officially just posted the other day on Facebook. He's ten years in. Um, he actually shrunk his tumor enough so they could go in and remove some of it, um, but it's stable, you know. And yeah. it, it, it's like your diagnosis does not define who you are. The thing is, is that your doctors, you nailed it on the money. Like they are guessing based off of what they know as books. They're experts at stats. They're yeah. experts at all this. The good thing is, I don't know absolutes. Like go all the way back to me being a kid. Grammar, math, I suck at that. So when you tell me that, I don't care because it doesn't even register. But what I do know is I know that the world is huge as I want it to be and I can imagine it and I can make it and all these things like that. So when you're a person like that, and we all have it, by the way, we all have a creative muscle, but we just are afraid to flex it because yeah. we're all afraid of what if it's not perfect, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the, the the catch of what has made me, you know, because it technically there's no, I can't be cancer free because there's no such thing. Cause you know, they don't know how to define it with brain cancer. Um, the nice thing about what I do have is that the type I have, because brain cancer always gets a bad rap because of in the movies, they kill everybody off with brain cancer. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. because when it manifests in our body, the second time, like if you have breast cancer or whatever, it goes to the brain first. Usually that's why yeah. it gets the bad rap with what I have though. It doesn't leave my brain. And if it were to come back 95% of the time, it comes back in the exact same spot, which is good for me because that's a spot where they can go in and scoop it out again. You know, you know, um, I, I, I'm of the opinion, just my opinion, not, not, um, but I'm of the opinion that you can be cancer free, that every, you can be whatever you decide. Like, yeah. I, I, I hate the fact that there are so many people I'll tell you, I, I remember, um, because I, I was not a, a good student um, in school. But I, I can remember thinking, because I didn't go to, I didn't even graduate high school. I, I, I can remember thinking, who, okay, you're teaching me out of a book. Now, who, who wrote that book? And, and, and I always thought, where did they get the information? Like mm -hmm. what, it originated somewhere. Like, did, does anybody, is anybody in this entire school capable of having an original thought? Like, right. you know, like I'm just of that mindset. Like you can be what you, you decide you're what mm -hmm. you're going to be. You can say, I can't be cancer free. Or you can say I'm cancer free, man. Like, I, right. like it's not part of my makeup anymore. It's just yeah. not who I am. Absolutely. And I, and I, we do, we have a choice. I mean, and it's yeah. like, and the thing I think that people get confused by is um, I think people think that sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll think that it's too late. They'll think that, well, there's not much I could do to undo this, or there's not much I can do to what I, Oh, I have high cholesterol and diabetes and I got all this stuff against me. It's too late. But the part that's missed is that every single night, when your head hits the pillow, the beauty of how the world is made is that you disconnect and you get to wake up the next day and replug in. You choose what the hell you plug into. Yep. Like we do live in this weird kind of matrix things where you can kind of like pick and choose what you want to be and what you don't want to be. It's what's amazing about us. I mean, like I was just talking to somebody at the gym about this the other day. I was like, you know, 
like a monkey just wakes up and it says, oh, I'm going to eat something and I'm going to poop somewhere and I got to like have a house, right? We're stuck in this whole thing of like, we're thinking about the past. So we're living in the past. Yeah. We're trying to project in the future, but we're yeah. basing it off the past. But the whole time we're missing this damn moment right now and understanding yeah. that you can choose to change in a split second what you're seeing. And it could just be a minute of just like looking from one side to the other. You know, yeah. I hated myself. And all of a sudden, somebody told me I was dying, and I figured out how to love myself. If that is and, not like prolific, I don't know what is. It's, it, it, it is. It <laughs> is. And, and you also one key thing that you did that everybody needs to do at some point. Well, they don't have to. It, you can just let it kill you eventually. <laughs> but you healed your traumas from yes. the past. Yes. And, and when you, you know, that moment that the doctor called you when you were sitting at the lake house and you dropped your knees and you were crying and you said, you saved my life. There was a moment there where you felt all of your past traumas leave your yes. body. Yes. And that was in my, I'm just, I'm just, I'm guessing, I'm guessing I'm not a medical professional, but I'm thinking that's when the cancer energy left your body. Yeah, I, I. What's interesting about that, and just to even lean into what you're saying more, now up until that week, remember I told you I hadn't slept. Yeah, I've literally since that day, never once not had a sleepless night since. That's so amazing. I, man. I don't think about it. I don't. Yeah. I, you know, every once in a while, like when I have an MRI, that's the only time that I ever think about. But here's the damnedest thing: is the craziest part about the MRI. So. You have it. I have an MRI every four weeks. So this is like a part that doesn't wow. leave my whole, like this is part of my life now. Wow. So like, I don't think about it at all. And then on the drive there, I, you get all amped up because you, you butterflies, right? Because you, yeah. you start, you're, you know, we're humans, we're stupid. We start thinking old stupid thoughts yep, you yep, know, stuff like that. Yep. But then you get into this big, scary room and I get hooked up to IVs and I get all this stuff. And then I get, you know, the contrast. Luckily, I don't drink anymore. It's in an IV. And they put me in that tube. And I'm not lying. As soon as that thing starts, a piece goes over me that, like, I just go into this meditation. And luckily, somebody at some point in time in in the tube wrote, uh, you've got this. And they've taped it up on there. And it's just like seeing that, that little tiny thing like that. It just is like... It's like the universe just kind of goes like, you know, hey, what? You got this. You know, yep. it's, it's okay. And I think that um, all the big stuff that we make up in our world and, and, and all these things, it's, it's, you know, the lies we tell ourselves based off of our past traumas. You know, I don't care who you are, um, even if you were the most popular kid in school and nobody, you have a trauma that makes you miserable now because I don't know about you, but a lot of people that I've been around that were the quote-unquote popular kids are the people now that are like doing destructive stuff to themselves yeah and you know and you and you don't realize that like there's a trauma in all of us and you can ignore it you know there's also we all have the ability to make cancer it started from inflammation and stress there's plenty of studies you can research it we live in a world where our diet causes inflammation I don't know of anybody in the US or around the world that's not stressed right now. It's like you, but it, it could be solved by just, you know, 
I'm not saying everybody's got to eat the way I do or whatever, but just like stop and think and question, ask better questions, be willing to shut up and listen for better answers, you know, instead of judge, 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 like just, just ask, pause. I don't know everything. I'm going to listen to what the other person says. Holy crap. I actually learned something about myself. How can I apply it to my life? And I think everybody's looking for a secret and there's no secret. It's it, it's not a secret. That's what I was saying. It's like it, there's no oh, you, secret to this thing. Yeah, I, I you know I had Dr. Ruby Latham on the show, who was in the movie What the Health, mm. um, and and I watched What the Health, and and you know she was diagnosed with cancer. She started doing research and and decided that that you know going plant based was the best option for her. Mm-hmm. I went plant-based because of some health issues and it's the best thing I ever did for my body. So again, you know, it's just, just people need to do their own research. If you look at it, Eastern medicine, a lot of it revolves around what you're putting in your body Yep. and, and they don't, you know, it's funny that the, the, the U S is the largest by (laughs) far the largest um, percentage of the population that, 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 um, lives off of prescription drugs. Yes. And, and just think about that. And we're not the healthiest. No, (laughs) we're not the healthiest. So listen, man, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. Um, Jason, you're amazing. I'm so grateful to Richard and Krista for introducing us. You're amazing. Your story is incredible. I hope for you that you continue to to go out and and inspire people and show people what's possible, man. Absolutely, yeah, incredible. That's the goal. I mean, I, it you come with that clarity comes a lot of like you want a, a purpose, right? And yeah, you know, that's that's the goal. It's it's you know there's new phases starting all the time. Like you know I'm doing adult stuff now and and starting to kind of embrace that. Like you know so you you do, you evolve, uh, you know, this didn't happen by accident. So I want to make sure that I can help other people wake up. And, uh, so yeah, very much the same as you, right? Like I'm kind of just, you're just four years ahead of me. So hopefully, uh, we circle back, you know, eventually, but look how far we've come. I mean, but I I appreciate you having me on here and, and, um, you know, Kristen, uh, Kristen, Richard, I'm really appreciative that they connected us and, you know, hopefully we can continue this conversation and, and uh, just build on it. And, uh, I appreciate you having me for sure. Jason, thank you. Everybody go where, where can they follow you? What's, what's your website address? Uh, It's real simple. It's my name, jasontharp.com. They they can go on there. Um, Also, I have uh, another website called Wonderville Studios, which is all my kids stuff, like my kids books. Um, Is that, is that, can they access it from Jason Tharp? Yes. Yeah. So if you click on the shop, it'll take you all to those things. Um, okay. So head yep. out there. It is jasontharp.com. Yep. Everybody go over, check out Jason, follow you on social media everywhere. I, I, I would imagine you're, yep. you're in a lot of different spots. Good. All those spots. Yep. Good. Good. Everybody follow Jason. Jason, thank you for being on today. Thank if you. you'll hang tight for me, I'm going to end the live stream. Make sure you go over to jasontharp.com. Follow Jason everywhere on social media. Jason, keep breaking through the walls that you're breaking through, man. You're awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. You guys have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow.